supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long, shifting from day into dusk into darkness. Lights on, because in Sydney, we ignite the night. We are go to light up our Sydney sky. You don't want to miss this. Panasonic Air Conditioning Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars unforgettable. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Shane Van Gisbergen is now a two-time Bathurst 1000 winner, while Garth Tander has five great race crowns to his name after the pair combined to take victory at Mount Panorama on Sunday. Chas Mostert and Fabian Coulthard finished second, while Cam Waters and James Moffat rounded out the podium. There was little in the way of racing for the major support categories, though. Zach Best won a first Super 2 race that only featured a couple of racing laps, while the second was canned because of the weather. And in Carrera Cup, Aaron Love won the opener before the second race was cancelled, and the third race was red flag before it could really get going. The Newcastle 500 has been officially confirmed as the 2023 Supercars season opener. Heritage New South Wales has signed off on the event, meaning it will take place for the first time since 2019 on March 10 to 12. As for the rest of the 2023 schedule, Albert Park, Perth, Simmons Plains, Hidden Valley, Townsville, SMP, Sandown, Bathurst, the Gold Coast and Adelaide are all thought to be safe, while a return to New Zealand is still the preferred option for the 12th event. If it can be secured, Winton and the Bend may well miss out. Supercar CEO Barclay Nettlefold says the series is working towards adding more Formula 1 races to its schedule in the future, and the main goal is to race at one of the North American Grands Prix. That level of expansion, however, is not likely until at least 2024. We have now officially seen the seventh generation Mustang supercar in the flesh. The updated Gen 3 prototype was unveiled at Mount Panorama last Thursday, with Dick Johnson taking it for its first laps around the mountain. Richie Stanaway is open to a full-time supercars return. After an impressive return to the series in Bathurst over the weekend, he says a comeback is definitely not out of the question. But it may have to wait until 2024 as we are very close to having next year's grid locked in. What may be the final vacancy, the seat alongside Jack LeBrock at Matt Stone Racing, could be filled between now and the Gold Coast. The team says it wants to bring a rookie into the category from Super 2. And it looks like one Aussie in, one Aussie out of Formula 1 next year as Daniel Ricciardo confirms he is very unlikely to be on the grid. That admission came as Alpine confirmed the signing of Pierre Gasly while Alpha Tauri locked in Nick DeFries for next season. Join me this week to discuss all that and more as a teammate that I know would keep the show rolling if I had to duck off for a cheeky spewy McGill, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, did you pull up a little better than Shane Van Gisbergen on Monday morning? I think we all know who is the SVG and who is the Garth Tander out of the two of us, Andrew. <laughs> well, even Garth didn't look all that uh, fresh uh, when he was trying to sort of, you know, carry the crew through those TV interviews. That's true, but I think the listeners should probably know that uh, I turned up at your place at, what was it, like 9am on Monday morning to pick up your colleague, mm-hmm. Tommy Howard, and when I yep. got there, you were pantsless, a little disorientated, uh, and not really ready for visitors. Uh, yes, that may or may not be true, but is also definitely true. But anyway, let's uh, let's move <laughs> on 
from that. It wasn't exactly a shock result as Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tander became our 2022 Bathurst 1000 champions. But what it was was a very fitting result for the last Bathurst 1000 to feature the Holden brand. Uh, Garth is a career Holden driver and all five of his Bathurst wins have come in Commodores, including three as a full-blown factory driver. Shane Van Gisbergen has won both his Bathurst crowns in Holdens as well. This win going alongside his win as a factory driver in 2020. And of course, Triple Eight was the final factory Holden team. Stefan, we'll we'll work through the finer details of the race soon, but it really was a masterclass from two brilliant drivers on Sunday, right? Oh, for sure. It was a textbook performance from those guys. I mean, they were patient in those early stints when all the chaos was unfolding around them. They pushed when they had to overcome that five-second unsafe release penalty and a bit of a fuel deficit because of the way the strategy was playing out. And then once they got the lead... They were just in full control. There was no way anyone was going to get around Shane in those last couple of stints. I think Chaz's car seemed to be pretty much as quick as the 97 at the end, but Shane's car was fast where it mattered. It was just a rocket down those straights. Yeah, and he certainly knows to do exactly what he needs to do to keep the bloke behind him right there. Let's go through the talking points from what was a busy Bathurst week, Stefan. Um, and we'll start with Ford's big unveiling of the seventh generation Mustang on the Thursday. Uh, now, the Gen 3 supercar spec car was actually the first physical S650 Mustang, as in not a render or a graphic, that's been publicly unveiled anywhere in the world. So it was a big deal and it went out on live TV, including across to Ford performance boss Mark Rushbrook in the US. Um, Stefan, your thoughts on the new Mustang now you've actually seen it with your own eyes? Oh, I think it's a pretty impressive looking motor car and it was rolled out really well by Ford, we have to say, like the reveal in the garage there and then Dick Johnson doing the first laps, it sort of ticked all the boxes from from that point of view and the biggest thing for me is that the Mustang and the Camaro looked the goods on track, like in at least one of those demo sessions the guys were pushing pretty hard across the top of the hill, they were running the soft tyre there as well evaluating that and uh, it just made me super keen to see a whole field of these things on track. Yeah, I agree. I I like it. I went back through our post-Bathurst show notes when I was prepping the scripts yesterday for this show, and it reminded me that I was a bit underwhelmed by the styling of the Gen 3 cars, um, particularly the Mustang when they were unveiled at the great race last year. But I think the new Mustang and the Camaro make a pretty handsome couple now, and I, I am really looking forward to seeing them. Racing next year, uh, I was also reminded by our old show notes that I joked about S5000 never racing at Bathurst again last year, which has kind of come true. But anyway, we, we were treated to a fascinating walk around of the new Mustang by uh, Brendan McGuinnesskin, the technical lead uh, in the new Ford Australia Motorsports Department. Anything catch your eye from that, Stefan? Well, I mean, obviously the biggest thing with these Gen 3 cars is that overall shape, the roof line that that fits the road car look. But when you really take a closer look at these things, like there's never been this much manufacturer styling below the bumper line on any supercar over the years, all the way back to 93. So when you look at things like the bumper cheeks and, and the lower areas on this Mustang in particular, you can really see that they've replicated that GT model Mustang road car. So some of that stuff is a little subject to change because it hasn't gone through the the VCAT aero testing that they'll do next month. And they have a bunch of options there that they'll they'll run through to make sure that they balance the Mustang and and the Camaro. But I thought that was really noticeable on the car they presented there at Bathurst. And I've got to say between that that element and the massive grill area, it's going to be a challenge for teams to plaster as many sponsor logos on the front end of these cars as it is on the yeah. current ones. 
Yep, absolutely. That's a really good point about those uh, about the styling of the cars. And I guess that's kind of last year when they were unveiled, it kind of caught me out because we have these styling cues that we've become so used to with supercars. And you can trace that back all the way back to the original five-litre mm. Formula spec cars. And they've kind of disappeared because of this huge push to make them as similar to their road-going counterparts as possible. So I think, I guess your eyes your eyes get used to it. You get used to the fact that this is what the future of our sport looks like. But I think that's actually exactly what you're talking about is what kind of caught me out last year because I went, hang on, this doesn't actually look like a supercar. They've always looked like supercars and now they kind of look like something different. But anyway, I think they really do look really great, those two cars now. Um, let's move on to qualifying. And there were a couple of talking points that came out of a wet and wild session on the Friday evening. Let's start with Triple H's decision to bench Brock Feeney and put Jamie Wink up in the car uh, for that session. Um, now, I, f- I found that a bit weird, to be honest, Stefan. Um, of course, you can make the argument that Jamie was quicker in those conditions in practice, and it's as simple as that, but I actually don't think it's quite that simple. Now, Jamie's been saying since before Feeney was even announced as a Triple Eight driver that if he was running the team and they had a rookie driver, it would be a multi-year deal to give that rookie a chance to learn the ropes and feel secure while they are doing it. That obviously is based on his own experiences of being tipped out of a seat after you know one year. Even earlier in the week, on the Thursday uh, afternoon, the press conference, Jamie said there was no way he would qualify the car, but there he was qualifying the car. And to me, that that kind of goes against Jamie's philosophy about nurturing young talent, which is very admirable. Um, so I had a chat with him on the Sunday night about it, and I actually posed the question to him. I asked him if there was any consideration to whether – doing that might undermine Brock's confidence. And to his credit, he was very upfront and told me that absolutely, that was a consideration. Um, He said he actually had no part in the decision at all. It was made by Dado and JJ and also explained that Brock was genuinely on board with it because he was worried about binning the car if he tried to push any harder across the top. From what Jamie was saying, they were open to sticking Brock in the car for the shootout if the conditions were right and if it had actually happened and if they'd made it. Um, None of those things obviously came to pass. Um, I'm still not convinced it was the right call in terms of Brock's development, if I'm honest. Stefan, what's your take on it all? Well, it was certainly a strange look and I was surprised they did it. But on one hand, I applaud them for doing it because I think it really should be that simple. Who's the best driver for the job here? And they did have that opportunity to run both drivers in the wet in practice four. So they had a lap time comparison and a feedback comparison from both drivers to take into account. So I think from that basis, it would be hard for the management and the engineering group there to select anyone other than the driver who they thought was going to do the best job. So if that was the process, then I don't think it should phase Brock too much. Like it's not like he got bumped just for your average co-driver. Yeah. Yeah. It, no, it was I think just that, a shame a, that a really point. the postscript was obviously that Jamie didn't make the shootout. So that, uh, that didn't help the optics of it. Oh, no, definitely. That kind of, yeah, you go, was the gamble kind of worth it? Because, yeah, what they were trying to achieve didn't actually happen. But, no, I, I take your point. And when you talk about Jamie Winkup, it is a different discussion. And and I do believe that Brock understands, you know, how, why that decision was made and was on board with it. But I still think in, in the ultimate development of your young driver, backing him would would have been a better call. Um the real star of qualifying was, of course, Richie Stanaway. Uh, the quirky Kiwis back in supercars and looking fit, motivated, and pretty bloody fast, I have to say. Um, we've seen Richie go quick in the wet at Bathurst before, um, but the fifth fastest time in qualifying still shocked me, Stefan, and had that shootout been run in the rain, I don't think pole was entirely off the table. 
Um, now, Richie told me on Saturday evening that he is absolutely open to return to supercars as a full-timer and even admitted that he feels better equipped to deal with less than ideal situations than perhaps he was a few years ago. Um, Stefan, I would love to see a properly motivated, invested Richie Stanaway back in supercars. What do you reckon? Well, he clearly gave Triple Eight a bit more uh, to analyse out of his performance in those wet sessions. Um, They talked uh, about having done that before the weekend, looking back at some of the lines Richie was taking in 2017 when he was in the monster car, which was uh, all very interesting. But, yeah, I mean, clearly Richie does want to race again, which is great. But as, uh, as Greg Murphy in particular stressed on the weekend, he really needs the right team in the right situation in order to uh, maximise his talent. Otherwise, he's probably wasting his time coming back. So for me, there's no obvious vacancies for next year that fit that bill at the moment. So short of Peter Adderton pulling off another last-minute shock, it's actually hard to see where he could could fit in. And Richie's talking about the fact that um, he would prefer to be full-time than co-drive. But he's only 30, so he's got time. And I really think a top co-drive next year could still be a good option. And I'd love to see him slot in with Shane at Triple Eight if Garth does decide not to go on. Like, the height difference between the two wouldn't be great, but, man, it'd be a hell of a combination. Oh, for sure. No, that would be pretty pretty exciting to watch. Yeah, look, I think the issue is going to be spots, you know, unless he does decide he wants to go to MSR, which sort of at the moment we feel is the last vacancy. But MSR seems pretty committed to signing a rookie from Super 2. As you said, you know, things can still change, so let's not completely take it off the table that he could wind up in a decent full si- full-time seat next year, but it does seem fairly unlikely. Um, but, yeah, like surely if that doesn't happen, he's going to end up as a pretty handy enduro driver next year. You know, he's a he's a winner of the Sandown 500, remember, you know, and that's, a, that's an event that's looking more and more likely to be reinstated for next year. So it would be great to see him in a competitive seat. And as I said before, I'd love to see him back at full-time in the right environment at some point in the future. Supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long, shifting from day into dusk into darkness. Lights on, because in Sydney, we ignite the night. We are go to light up our Sydney sky. You don't want to miss this. Panasonic Air Conditioning, Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars, unforgettable. Let's have a chat about the Shane Van Gisbergen versus Macca Jones incident at the end of qualifying. Um, Van Gis was on a fast lap. He'd just gone purple in the first sector and he came across Jones in the second sector. Jones was also on a lap, but one that wasn't quite as fast as uh, Shane's was. Uh, Shane tipped Macca into a spin and copped a three-place grid penalty for it. Stefan, what did you make of both the incident and the penalty? Oh, I mean, I can see both sides of it because it would obviously be super frustrating for Shane to have to get out of a lap due to traffic. And, you know, maybe he thought McCauley was letting him through, but you would think if someone was doing that, they'd probably do that before Skyline rather than down through the S's. So in the end, it was just, just seemed a bit unnecessary and caused big damage to a car that didn't really need to happen and it needed to be penalised I think three spots is probably mm. fair but if, if anything I felt it was a little light considering uh, considering what happened yeah I'd, I don't know I think it was probably about the right penalty I don't know that it deserved that much more it wasn't like it was a heinous crime but as you say it was definitely unnecessary I can certainly see how frustrating 
It would have been for Shane, given he'd be able to see the splits on the dash, and I can understand him kind of not wanting to to get out of the throttle at that point, but front-to-rear contact will generally trigger a penalty of some kind. So I think where it landed was probably, in my opinion, about right. What about the cancellation of the top 10 shootout the next day, Stefan, because of all that rain? Did Supercars and Motorsport Australia make the right call there? Sounds like uh, we've been agreeing too much in this podcast. So this is the part where I say it looked pretty dangerous and then you say, nah, mate, don't be soft. Like, just just send it. Happy, happy to play the role. Let's go. Let's do it. Look, I mean, there was so much standing water out there and they'd obviously cancelled the, the Kura Cup and the Super 2. Like, I just didn't see it happening, like, throughout the last couple of hours before they called it. So, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of amateur track inspectors out there on social media saying they should have should have run it but geez like there was a lot of a lot of potential for aquaplaning and looking at what we could see i mean even if they had the softer dunlop wet which they've developed for next year to help them run in worse conditions i'm not sure if that would have even been enough in that situation I think it sounds like you're suggesting there was another amateur track inspector sitting in the media centre at the same time uh, <laughs> saying these things. But, look, it was clearly very, very wet. And I agree with you that it was very unlikely it was ever going to happen. I mean, I had the flash story saying this thing's off written long before the decision was made because it seemed like that was a pretty obvious outcome. I will always fall on the side of just getting out there and taking on the conditions, whatever they are. There were officials driving around out there in road cars, so at the right speed the track wasn't impossible to navigate. I know racing cars are different to road cars. I've driven plenty of them in the rain. But if you go slow enough, it will walk. It will work. The walls don't grow magnetic powers when they are wet. Richie made the point to me on Saturday night that the speeds would have been so slow across the top of the mountain that the risk of major damage wouldn't have been all that high anyway. Plus, being a single car you know, session, you don't have the spray factor, which is often the biggest issue. As, so, as you pointed uh, out before, I, Richie probably had the most to gain if that did run in the wet. Oh, and yeah. his sponsor yeah. did have oh, three I, cars I, in the show. So no surprises <laughs> as to that view and where it came from. But still, I, I'll always just uh, – I'll always fall on the side. I understand everything you're saying, but I'll always fall on the side of just – just getting out there and having a go. It's just a bit of water. It'll be fine. All right, let's get into the great race itself. And what an amazing first hour it was. You know, we had cars spinning on mountain straight on lap one. The poor Castrol Mustang was taken out as part of uh, that through. No fault of Zach Best at all. The, uh, the, second, the, most, uh, the second most famous Castrol Mustang at Bathurst on the weekend. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. The slightly smaller... Uh, yeah, one that's usually more at home on the golf course did uh, cop a fair bit of airtime. Um, then on the first restart lap a while later, Zane Goddard created a heck of a mess when he outbraked himself at the chase trying to pass Murph. His rejoin took out Matt Campbell and Dale Wood. Uh, now, he copped a $10,000 fine for his actions, and, and to his absolute credit, he immediately put his hand up and, and told my colleague Tommy Howard that it was, un- it was unacceptable driving, uh, and he was soon apologising to the other teams affected and apologising to everyone in the Tickford garage as well. I mean, I guess he didn't have much of a choice, but just to admit that he got that one wrong, right, Stefan? Yeah, I mean, he clearly felt terrible for what happened. Like, he wasn't down there apologising because he thought it would look good on TV. And regardless of how you analyse the incident, it was a nightmare outcome for for Zane as well. I mean, to make such a big mistake like that in the biggest race of the year... Um, is certainly uh, not good for his career. And like speaking with him after the race, it was hard not to have a fair bit of empathy for him, especially mm, in this modern age sure. where social media is so savage after something like that. And uh, yeah, I 
the only upside out of all of that carnage at the start was that it's a pretty big advert for having the Sandown 500 back as a warm-up for Bathurst, I think. Like, supercars are still trying to convince the teams to sign off on that for 2023, and perhaps spending a few extra bucks there might save a couple of cars in the future. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point, and I really do hope we see that happen next year. Uh, there were plenty of other flashpoints of controversy during the race. Uh, perhaps one of the most important was when Brody Kostecki tipped James Moffat into a spin at the cutting. Uh, at the time, they were the two lead cars on the preferred strategy because obviously the 97 was trying to shake that five-second penalty in a green pit stop at some point. Uh, the Tiffa camp clearly weren't impressed by what happened. Uh, Moff called Brody a dickhead in the press conference, and when I spoke to Tim Edwards later, he said that Brody was a buffoon. Um, the stewards didn't penalise Brody. Um, I, to be honest, I think I'm kind of okay with that, Stefan. I think both cars could have done a better to avoid a shunt. I think Moff maybe left the door open a little too long, you know, and to, to, to not expect Brody, who doesn't muck around, to be having a look up the inside there. Um, Stefan, is Brody a buffoon or did race control get this one right? Well, buffoon or not, he was a long way up, so no penalties. Yeah. Probably the right call when you just look at it on its merits. There was a big gap there mm. and, and Brody filled it. Whether you need to pull that move so early in the race is another question. Like, I can see why Moff and the Tickford guys would be a bit pissed about it, but, you know, Brody's problem during the whole day was he didn't have enough straight line speed. And, yeah, uh, yeah so you need to pull the trigger where you can. And, and that was the outcome. So unfortunate, but this is the thing these days, like track position, whenever you can get it, you're going to go for it because it's not easy. Just mm-hmm. to, They don't just cruise around waiting for the last stint. It's, uh, it's all on all day. Yeah, no, absolutely. Tickford seems pretty confident that with, with that track position, which as you pointed out is so critical, Waters could have won that race. Do you agree with that? I'm not entirely convinced that the 97 wouldn't have ended up ahead of Waters anyway, given it got ahead of the 99 fairly comfortably what do you reckon oh yeah they could have but but who knows like i guess the shame of it was that we didn't get to find out like it would have been awesome to have sort of one last ford versus holden fight for the win at the end at bathurst especially between shane and cam but um yeah that's the way it goes Later in the race, we saw Brody involved in another incident, this time involving a recovery vehicle. It was almost like the exact same time people watching the Japanese Grand Prix were watching Pierre Gasly scream past a tractor on the track. Uh, we were watching Brody come up behind a uh, Ford Ranger. Now, Brody and Chaz were Chaz Mostert were racing each other to the control line under safety car conditions at the time. Uh, Mostert was out on track. Brody was coming out of the pits. Brody looked to be a little bit ahead until he came across that Ford Ranger, which was just starting to make its way up Mountain Straight, and he really had to get out of the throttle, at which point Mostert nipped ahead. Uh, into second place at the control line. He wasn't made to redress that. Um, now, Brody was cool as a cucumber about it after the race. I mean, he basically told you and I, Stefan, that it was just a case of bad luck. Uh, Barry Ryan wasn't taking interviews, which I think probably says it all. Um, I reckon they, they have a right to be pissed about it. I don't think it's acceptable. What do you think? Well, it certainly wasn't a good look, and it could have been a lot worse. Like, um, I think normally they wouldn't send a recovery vehicle out until the field is actually under the control of the safety car. So I'm sure it'll all be reviewed pretty thoroughly. But, I mean, for me, it's just a symptom 
of what I think is a very poor overall system in that it does take way too long to get the field under control Mm -hmm. when the safety car is called. Like, that's not new news. We've spoken about it before, but that's the root problem. Brody and Chaz are racing flat out to a control line under safety car. And it's the same for when drivers are blazing past the safety car itself. If it's green light is on or now with that lucky dog rule, dudes just flying past, unlapping themselves on Conrad. Like, a lot of that stuff looks pretty sketchy. And, yeah, they really need to get some sort of delta time system in place before something goes really wrong yep i completely agree well the race win was shane's 19th of the season which moves him ahead of the most wins record set by scott mclaughlin back in 2019 he now has a 567 point lead and is set to wrap up the title on the gold coast in a few weeks i'm glad he didn't do it on sunday to be honest because uh the title always gets a bit lost in the bathurst noise so we'll get a second crack at Celebrating, celebrating what a fantastic season Shane has had. Um, anyway, here's what Shane and Garth had to say after the race last Sunday. Epic day, and and you know to compare to 2020, like it's another another farewell to Holden, but also to have the fans here and to share it with them. And this week, it, I learned a lot how much the brand means to people and um, to represent it like we do. And you know, it's a privilege to add to the tally of Holden wins. Holden wins, and. Um, yeah, it's hard to put into words, but it's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, we were just as we were walking here, I just said to him, I said, reasonable week for you, really, when you think about it. He's scored points in WRC, finished inside the top 10 in a WRC event, and then seven days later delivered what he delivered today. I mean, I said to Shane after the Puka Curry result that I'll never blow wind up his ass, but... He's going okay right now. I mean, it's <laughs> it's hard not to. Um, and yeah, I feel very, very privileged, privileged to be able to get close, see the data, see the vision, work with him and, and see how he goes about it. And, you know, I'm an old bastard, but I still get the opportunity to learn a lot. And um, that's been really enjoyable. There's two rounds to go, Shane, but you've, you've hit the highest wins in a season um, today. Yeah. I'd just like to hear your thoughts on the season so far and what it means to you to hit that. Yeah. It's a very... Uh, Scott's um, record. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I might upset some people, but it is a pretty special thing to do it without all the calls of parody and stuff. Like, makes me feel like as a team we've done such a good job. Um, I feel like we're not the best in qualifying, we're not the fastest car, but in the races we seem to execute it. And you know, working with Andrew this year, he's been fantastic. And um, you know, when we're under pressure, when things aren't so good, the way he tunes the car up and goes about it. Um, along with the rest of the engineering group, I think um, I think we're in a pretty special place at the moment. So obviously it's going to change next year and be a lot more difficult. Um, but, yeah, this year has been very, very cool. Stefan, uh, was that a bit of uh, SVG's classic mind games going on there with that cheeky swipe about parity? Oh, it's hard to say for sure, but... I mean, good on him for saying what he thinks in that situation. I think it's totally a fair statement. I mean, it wasn't a boast about his own performance. He was really talking about the team and how well it's performed. So, you know, credit to to Andrew Edwards as much as anything in the way he's come in and and given them something extra this year. It was, he was certainly a good part of the story on the weekend too. Absolutely. 
All right, let's take a look at what is happening around the world. There were wild scenes at a rain-lashed Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka where confusion over whether Max Verstappen, winner of the shortened race, had also sealed the world championship. Nobody seemed to know what was going on, but it was eventually decided that full points for the race would be awarded and Max was crowned a two-time champion. Um between that and there being a tractor on the track at some point, it wasn't a great day in the PR stakes for Formula One, but Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc rounded out the podium while Daniel Ricciardo finished 11th. In other Formula One news, it is now official that Red Bull Racing and Aston Martin breached the cost cap rules in 2021. For Aston Martin, it was a procedural breach, and for Red Bull, both a procedural and a minor overspend breach. What that means in terms of penalties is not yet clear. Uh, Red Bull has responded to the findings, say it is surprised and disappointed by the outcome. And in NASCAR, Christopher Bell rescued his playoff hopes with a victory at the Charlotte Roval. Kyle Larson, Austin Sindrick, Daniel Suarez and Alex Bowman were eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, Stefan, the news that, that you know Daniel Ricciardo won't be on the F1 grid next year, it's inevitable given how things have shaken out recently. But, I mean, it's still a bit sad that he misses out, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, a shame for Formula 1 as a whole, both uh, on track and off track. I think um, it's better with, with Dan in it, even though he hasn't had a good run the last couple of years. He's talking about targeting a return in 2024 and staying connected to F1 next year through a reserve driver role rather than racing anywhere else. But, yeah, surely it's going to be hard for him to get back in anywhere from yeah. here, let alone a top car. Yeah, I'm not sure how a uh, how a, a better vacancy than a Haas or a Williams kind of shows up in 2024 for Dan. Unfortunately, perhaps he and his management have worked out a roadmap where it does, but it's it's kind of hard to see from the outside how that would happen. Well, I think it's time for us to indulge in some window shopping, Stefan, and chat about what grabbed our eye on my105.com this week. And this week, it was an absolute no-brainer for me, mate. Sam Shahin has his Elfin MR8 Formula 5000 car up for grabs. It's one of three MR8s that were built by Elfin. It was originally raced by Elfin founder Gary Cooper before it was taken over by Larry Perkins in 1979. He took part in the Australian Grand Prix at my home circuit, Wanneroo, in that car. I think Actually, I think he might have crashed out of that race from memory. Uh, not that I was actually there. Anyway, he also finished third at the famous 1980 Australian Grand Prix at Calder Park, which was won by Alan Jones in his Williams F1 car. Uh, the bad news from all this is that it's slightly out of my price range at 265 grand, but still what an incredible bit of uh, Aussie motor racing history that someone could own. Stefan, what grabbed your eye this week? That's, uh, that's going to be a nice step up over the Fumo Ford for you, oh, yeah. but I'm, I'm swimming <laughs> at the other end of the pool this week. I've found a 1994 Nissan Pulsar for 10 grand. It oh, needs wow. some work, so buyer beware on that, but they've sold me based on the livery. It's running the full 1992 Winfield Nissan GDR colours. Oh, it's been beautiful. very nicely done, and you know it's perfect for someone who wants to do a casual track day and then call everyone a pack of assholes at the end of it. That, that does sound that you're getting your ten grand's worth there. I reckon that sounds uh, that sounds pretty good. Okay, Castro mailbag time. Uh, Tim Gregory asks if a tribute livery has ever won a Supercars Championship race outside of the dedicated livery rounds like Retro Round. Um, he says it feels like a bit of a jinx at the Bathurst 1000. Stefan, this is very much your territory, mate. What's the answer? Yeah, it's a fun question, and I was going to bring this up uh, when DJR rolled out their. Uh, 
their retro livery for Bathurst, but I didn't want to sound like I was uh, sort of cheering it on to fail. But it's, <laughs> it's true that a retro livery has never won the Bathurst 1000. And even more amazingly, they didn't win any of the four Sandown 500s that were retro rounds either, despite the fact that the majority of the field were running throwback colours in those oh, races. Wow. So the only one I can come up with that's won a race is back in 2007, Ford Performance Racing ran a Cobra colour scheme on its five mm-hmm. car from, from Bathurst onwards. And obviously they didn't win Bathurst, but Mark Winterbottom drove it to a couple of race wins in Bahrain later that year. So, I mean, those colours were run to celebrate a new anniversary edition FPV road car. So whether it counts as a racing retro livery, you could argue the toss on that, but um, I'm calling it a retro livery race winner. I think that's absolutely fair enough, mate. We'll give you that one. That was a very, very good response. All right, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. Stefan, you're up first, mate. Who you got? Well, we mentioned him before briefly, but my Castrol Star of the Week is Peter Adderton, the boss of Boost Mobile. Fair play to him. He funded a one-off entry that provided one of the biggest storylines for the majority of Bathurst Week. The amount of screen time Boost would have gotten out of that whole weekend across three cars was immense. So uh, you can tell that he's uh, he's not bad at marketing that bloke. Well, I'm going to assume we're going to have a couple of Boost SIM cards showing up in the mail at some point this week because I'm going to give uh, I'm going to give that car a little bit more love right now. And my Castrol Star of the Week is going to go to Greg Murphy. Uh, I think he came into this whole wildcard thing genuinely concerned about how we'd go and how we'd stack up against uh, the rest of the co-drivers and. You know, epoxy aside, he seemed genuinely enthused about getting down to that that two-minute five lap on the Thursday afternoon, and he seemed pretty pumped from that point onwards that, you know, he was kind of in the game as much as he needed to be. Um, it was the, That was the first time he'd gone under his lap at the God's time as well, um, and he has since publicly said that, that, you know, that was his final Bathurst 1000 appearance. So I think it was a pretty good showing from Murph, um, and, yeah, it was just cool to see. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport news. Supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long, shifting from day into dusk into darkness. Lights on, because in Sydney, we ignite the night. You don't want to miss this. Panasonic Air Conditioning, Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars, unforgettable.